morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are today. I'm Ali Amagasu, and you're listening to Cloud Unfiltered. Today's guest is a Cisco colleague, or he's a Cisco colleague now. He certainly has had a, a colorful history before coming to Cisco. His name is Patrick Crowley, and he is the uh, lead engineer for, or engineering lead, I should say, for StealthWatch Cloud. Welcome, Patrick. Hi, Ali. Uh, great to talk with you today. Great to talk to you too. Um, you know, I was mentioning to uh, Pete, who was also on the show. Pete, hey. Hey, Ellie. Thanks for having me back. I keep fooling you. Prime number four. I know. And because we have such a technology stud today, I couldn't go with my standard issue Cisco Polo. I had to go with old school video game reference, which <laughs> I know Patrick is already smiling at. And if you're, if you're, you, you have to watch the video to get it. Um, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, I know you guys. You guys know each other. I on, quite honestly knew very little about you, Patrick, um, until doing some pre-research. And as I mentioned to Pete in the pre-show, I suddenly was intimidated and went, "Oh no, I have no business speaking to Patrick." Um, but why don't you go ahead and tell us how you got how you got into tech and and what your history in our industry is and what brought you to uh, where you are now? Yeah, sure. Um... You know, I guess I don't typically like to lead by being intimidating. I like to think I'm a, you know, friendly, approachable uh, kind of guy. Um, but yeah, you know, I, um, so my interest, my interest and in sort of background in technology um, is uh, maybe a little um, unlike um, other folks that work in big companies, um, certainly like Cisco. So um, the majority of my uh, professional uh, career I've spent as an academic uh, computer scientist. So I got my uh, PhD in computer science uh, and engineering uh, at the University of Washington in Seattle uh, in 2003. And then uh, at that time, um, my work was really focused on uh, computer network systems architecture. So I was building new chipsets, uh, new memory systems, mostly uh, really flexible ones that are targeted at making networking gear um, more um, flexible and adaptable uh, while still being uh, high, perform high performance and economically uh, efficient uh, for networking and switching tasks. Then back in 2003, graduated, got my PhD, became a professor of uh, computer science at the other Washington, at Washington University uh, in St. Louis. I've been a professor of computer science um, ever since that time. So going on, what is that, 15 years now. Um, and I've always been um, what's known as a systems person, which means that I'm interested in um, new inventions and solving uh, hard questions. And when I say I'm a systems person, what that really means is that I validate uh, my ideas by uh, reducing them to practice in the form of a prototype so that I can sort of empirically measure whether or not uh, we've been able to answer the question in a way that's satisfying. And so uh, I mentioned that I've been a systems person as an academic because that means that my students and research staff and I over the years have not just thought, um, you know, spent our time thinking um, and talking and writing papers and things. We've always built real systems and deployed them for use in the world, often in academic uh, setting. So I've run a fairly large federally and commercially sponsored research program uh, from my university for many years. We've operated, we've designed and deployed and then operated programmable routers of various kinds 
um, in internet points of presence all around the world. Um, and um, the connection to Cisco and the connection to security and cloud security in particular um, comes from um, the fact that since around 2005 or so, uh, my team and I at the university have really been focused on um, network security. And I really used to be a dyed-in-the-wool deep packet inspection person. And so what deep packet inspection is, so some, some people know that, uh, that phrase cold, but whenever you have a networking device like a wireless access point or a firewall or a switch or a router that's looking at network traffic um, and then interpreting the bits that fly by on the wire to decide, hey, is this malware? Is this a threat of some kind? It's using some flavor of deep packet inspection. And my team and I, over the years, we engineered the, the first methods for doing that really at commercial scale. This is actually work that we did uh, sponsored by companies like Cisco and Intel and other entities like the Department of Defense. So I was a dyed-in-the-wool deep packet inspection guy for many years. But uh, I had a uh, sort of an epiphany um, uh, in... Uh, the 2009-2010 uh, timeframe, I came to the conclusion that those security approaches that relied on deep packet inspection were going to run into unsolvable problems. Uh, I started to get the sense that, uh, that um, most security technologies that rely on deep packet inspection were on a path to obsolescence. So I went back to the drawing board, thought about how might we, um, how might we uh, still provide um, sort of enterprise-grade security and confidence that, um, that uh, we're, we're securing the infrastructure we're responsible for uh, if we can't rely on deep packet inspection? And so I ended up inventing this new way of doing it. And rather than turning that into a, a research project funded by the federal government or by companies, I decided to try to build it on my own uh, and tried to start a company around it to, to commercialize it. And that's where the company Observable Networks uh, came from. And last July, July 2017, um, Cisco acquired Observable Networks. So a lot more to say, but uh, I'll give you a moment to get a word in edgewise. Hey, hey Allie. Yeah? I can't believe you're intimidated by that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because I, mean, I sit around talking about deep packet inspection at Starbucks with my friends all the time. And you were just telling me the other day that your research staff that was federally funded was also <laughs> looking at deep packet inspection when you realized it was obsolete. You said that to me just the other day. Right, right. And I was just, yeah, lamenting that fact. And clearly, Patrick beat me to the punch. I know. Dang, right? Patrick. But, I was right to be intimidated. So it's a fair it's a fair point, but but can we at least agree that I presented all of that with a friendly face? Oh, you did totally great. You yeah. did, and potentially with a wild animal or a domesticated animal loose in the background. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I heard something rocketing around backward. Back yeah, there. yeah, it was either my dog or my creaking office chair. One of them. Oh, uh, yeah, that's okay. We have we Pete and I both have animals loose in our um, office spaces as well, so <laughs> it could be any of the three of us at any given time. So um, I just wanted to ask one question before Pete dives in. Yeah, um, sure. Do you see so you? You've kept this teaching thing going even all through the running the business or you know creating a startup, running a startup, selling a startup. 
Um, yeah, you know, uh, so the answer is yes. Um, although the there's a little something about uh, being a professor at a um, at a research university that's a that's there's a little nuance that not everybody has a reason to know about. So what that means is that I mentioned run a large federal and commercial sponsored research program, and of course I teach. That's a very important part of uh, being a professor. Um, it's for, for um, academics like me. Um, I always, in a normal, you know, in normal study state, would teach one class of, per semester. Uh, but the majority of my time is spent with my doctoral students and my staff members doing uh, research. Got and it. So, but uh, but um, in in starting observable networks, there have been periods of time where um, my undivided attention was required. So I did take in the early years. I took uh, a one year um, leave of absence. I did that, in fact, when I was onboarding management into the company we had raised a small amount of institutional investment was onboarding a management team and i wanted to make sure that that went well didn't want any distractions but other than that i've had arrangements uh, with my university uh, and with my company and now with cisco that uh, permits me to spend time uh, in both places these days i'm um, i'm very much on a partial leave uh, from the university still have some uh, ongoing activities uh, there, but my uh, the the majority of my time today is spent uh, helping push uh, Cisco forward, specifically with Stealthwatch Cloud and helping with cloud security more generally. Well, I can see why Cisco would well we why we the good people of Cisco would want to get our paws on you and uh, your technology. Um, what is what has become of Observable Networks now that it is part of Cisco? What yeah. is, is there a product that it resulted from it? And, and what's happened with that? How is it yeah. integrated into the Cisco family? Yeah, uh, one of my favorite questions. So, so we were acquired by Cisco. Cisco is, of course, a very large um, company that runs lots of different lines of business. Uh, no one should be confused. Cisco is primarily uh, a networking company. Most of the revenue that comes into the company is, of course, in exchange for networking gear. Um, I'm part of the security business group. And the security business group itself, which you know, it, by security measures, is a fairly large organization, billions in annual revenue, uh, and the port, the uh, subset of uh, the security business group that my organization and I are part of is something called the Advanced Threat Group, and um, we have been everything that used to be known as Observable Networks has been rebranded as. Cisco Stealthwatch Cloud. That's the name of the uh, of the service that we we sell, Stealthwatch Cloud, and that's the organization uh, that I lead. Now, I've certainly heard of Stealthwatch Cloud, but I've also heard of Stealthwatch. How can you? Is there an easy way to summarize how they differ? Yeah, yeah, there is. There's an easy and super intimidating way for me to explain how they, <laughs> how they differ. So, uh, Stealthwatch is a brand name that uh, came into Cisco several years ago when Cisco acquired another company called Landcope. And so um, uh, today, within Cisco, there is what we call Stealthwatch Enterprise, and that is the appliance-based Stealthwatch uh, offering that came in via Landcope. Appliance-based meaning when you, when a customer buys Stealthwatch Enterprise, what they're buying are a series of physical or virtual appliances that they install into their environment. And with the Observable Networks acquisition and the creation of Stealthwatch Cloud, you can think of Stealthwatch Cloud as the SaaS offering uh, of Stealthwatch. And so when customers um, purchase Stealthwatch Cloud, what they're purchasing is a subscription 
that is a SaaS service that doesn't, they don't buy any hardware, they're not buying software, they're uh, sub subscribing to a SaaS offering. So that's the, and what would the, the, the common technical element between these two things is the types of information that they consume. So in both products, the um, most important form of information that we consume to provide security outcomes is something called network flow logs. Um, Cisco has a format generated by its switches and routers called NetFlow, which tech geeks like me will probably know what that means. Um, there are other flavors of network flow logs that exist in the world from other device manufacturers and from other public uh, cloud infrastructure providers and so forth. Um, but that's really it. So the big you know, 30,000 foot distinction is Stealthwatch Enterprise is you're buying boxes, um, Stealthwatch Cloud, you're subscribing uh, to a SaaS uh, service. There's some other distinctions too, such as Stealthwatch Cloud can deploy either on-prem or into public cloud environments uh, as well. But that consumption approach is probably the most important uh, distinction to draw. Pete, I swear I'm going to let you get a word in edgewise and get into all the juicy technical <laughs> stuff. But honestly, this is per this is provocative to me. Um, if you look at the Cisco array of security offerings, where does Stealthwatch Cloud fit in? What does it do? I mean, I know you know you can talk about Umbrella, you yeah. can talk about Stealthwatch Cloud, you can talk about a bunch of different things we offer. How is mm -hmm. what does this do? What base does it cover? Yeah, it uh, it really does cover. Um, uh, with respect to the other elements of the uh, Cisco portfolio, just in, in broad categories, the, the thing that everyone under, everybody understands about Cisco is firewalls, which is a perimeter blocking te uh, uh, technology. Firewalls are universal. Everybody's got to have a firewall. Cisco sells a lot of firewalls. It's a very large established market. Cisco also um, sells into other very established markets like endpoint security. So there's an offering called Cisco AMP. And people understand what that means. You have a, a package, a piece of software, a software agent you install uh, onto your laptop. Uh, and it's the job of that software to detect when you're being hacked by uh, bad guys or being infected with malware um, or whatever. Uh, you mentioned Umbrella. That's uh, also a relatively new entrant into the, um, the Cisco uh, portfolio. It's not a super established market like firewalls or endpoint security agents, but it's an offering that allows um, customers and companies as they are uh, allowing their customers to make use of uh, the cloud to do so uh, securely through um, protection of a service called open uh, called DNS, the domain name uh, uh, system, which is gets a little tech, tech oriented to understand what that uh, really means. But at 30,000 feet, what that can, can do for you, if you're an umbrella customer, then whether you're on your cell phone or on your laptop, if you're an umbrella user and you either intentionally or accidentally try to, to visit uh, a malicious or dangerous site uh, anywhere on the internet, Umbrella uh, can spot that and stop it for you. And so in that broad context, and, and by no means is that exhaustive, um, right. entire Cisco security portfolio, but how uh, Stealthwatch Cloud plays into this really has to do with how uh, companies, how businesses um, uh, detect when there are security threats in their infrastructure and in their workloads. And so what I mean is um, by infrastructure, there are really two, two flavors of infrastructure that Stealthwatch Cloud helps to protect. And so when Stealthwatch Cloud is deployed in a customer environment, it's the job of Stealthwatch Cloud to watch that environment and detect 
the presence of threatening activities that otherwise go unnoticed. Those threatening activities include things like um, people hacking into web servers that shouldn't be reachable from the outside, or people hacking into multifunction printers that are scanning you know, documents internally, yet somebody has remote access, uh, and so forth. And so uh, you might, companies might have um, on-prem uh, data centers, data centers filled with all sorts of servers and internet-connected equipment. You deploy StealthWatch Cloud, and it detects the presence of malware, hackers, or uh, sort of an ugly phrase, or the so-called inside threat, that is employees who have credentialed access to resources doing things that they shouldn't. And so StealthWatch Cloud sounds the alarm in data centers, sounds the alarm when those servers and workloads and things are in public cloud environments like Amazon Web Services or Google's cloud platform or Microsoft Azure. Um, and similarly, for some customer use cases where they have branch offices, where they've got infrastructure and devices accessing corporate resources from many distributed locations, Selfwatch Cloud helps with that. I can tell you're a professor. You made yeah. that very simple to understand. Well, <laughs> I'm glad that's the vibe you picked up because sometimes mm -hmm. I get this. I can tell you're a professor followed by an eye roll. So I'm, I'm no, no. I meant I mean, you made it simple for me to understand. Oh, good. So thank you. Pete, jump on in. I'm tapping out. I've my... So let me let me sort of spin this spin this on its head a little bit, and let's 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 talk about use cases here for a second. So Patrick, you and I first met uh, in I want to say like September when I started working on what became the Google partnership announcement, yeah. and you you were already working on that. And my job was to try to work with you know kind of what the marketing part of that announcement was and what was real in terms of what was demoable at the time and come up with a story that was going to resonate with IT admins and with developers so that when we made this big announcement in the end of October at Partner Summit, we we could we could talk through some specific things. And I remember the conversation that you and I had where you were trying to explain to me the, the benefits of what StealthWatch Cloud did. And what really kind of lit the light bulb for me was when you talk through the uh, the geography, the, the, the geographic, uh, the geographically unusual login use case. Yeah. yeah. So why don't you talk talk through that use case in terms of like what does the alert look like and what what's happening under the hood a little bit so that that alert is even possible. And then I'll ask you some questions, some more questions about the NetFlow data and, and some of the sure. genesis of that. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that's a that's a good one to think about. So, um, uh, just to to set the stage here a little bit, the so Stealthwatch Cloud. Um, uh, I've spoken a little bit about uh, how it is we blend in and represent a component in a full security um, portfolio, and part of what um, oh, part of what the solution represents is an idea about how to protect uh, resources like this in a sustainable way. And what I mean by in a sustainable way, meaning that it, we can see that it works today. And given uh, what we understand about major technology trends going forward, we expect it's gonna continue to work. And in fact, will likely work even better uh, in the future. And so to give an illustration of how how that statement connects to the, the methods that we've originated for you know, building StealthWatch Cloud. Uh, this example, Pete, you surface of the unusual geographic access. 
um, is, uh, is, is a good starting point. So you might imagine that, um, let's imagine there's a company, a big multinational company, even like Cisco, you've got employees all around the world, uh, huge, huge numbers of uh, data center environments and workloads spread all around the world. If you imagine, uh, if you have the ability to watch a single server in all of that uh, distributed infrastructure, and if you as a person have the ability to just watch that single server and keep track of all of the times someone logs into it, what you as a person would understand pretty quickly is what the normal pattern of login would be for that server. Sure, there's a baseline to it. There's a baseline, and it's uh, and what that would look like for a typical server would frankly be well, it's a server, so most of the time, people don't log into it directly. Um, sometimes, if it's what we call a terminal server or something, and its whole purpose is to permit remote login, that's one sort of use case. But if it's say a database server, then most of the interactions that that database server is going to have is going to be with other database servers or with um, well, web front ends or, or so forth. It's going to be a comparatively rare uh, situation that some technician or programmer or DevOps person will actually log into that device. So comparatively rare to start with. And when it happens, it's not like those logins are going to originate from completely random places in the world. So for Cisco specifically, if you think about a Cisco database server somewhere, well, the logins are likely to come from wherever it is that the tech, the technical staff lives that work on that on that server, and so the alert that you're remembering is one variety of an alert that StealthWatch Cloud produces automatically, not just for database servers, but for all types of devices. Uh, and StealthWatch Cloud is maintaining device-specific models of behavior and state. And one of the aspects that is tracked in that model is when uh, people log into a server, who are they and where are they logging in from? And so the idea might be we have a database server. We don't have any employees who live in Jamaica yet this morning. We had a remote login from Jamaica. StealthWatch Cloud would publish an alert. And what the consumer of that alert, our user, what they would do is they would say, oh, that's unusual. We don't have any employees who live in Jamaica. What's going on? And they'd look it up. And what they might discover they might have either, hey, we're we're being hacked, you know, fire drill. Let's let's stop them before they steal our information or do us harm. That's one option. The other option could simply be that the star programmer, she's on vacation in Jamaica, but she's a workaholic, so she's logging in remotely. So, um, so yeah, and so that um, I like that uh, that example of an unusual uh, geographic remote access. Um, because it illustrates one easy to under, understand aspect of behavior that StealthWatch Cloud can spot and track and react to in a completely automatic fashion without anybody having to disclose to StealthWatch Cloud, hey, this server exists, this should happen, this shouldn't happen. Everything about StealthWatch Cloud uh, works out of the box, being driven by the behaviors of the devices themselves. Sure. So. To, to to sort of put another spin on it, right? It's the the idea is it gives a human enough information to sort of do the follow up and and do the part that you just said that maybe you know and maybe that IT admin knows, for example, that 
like we had you know last month uh where there was a major cisco event in the bahamas so maybe it's far more likely that somebody could be coming from that location and maybe that doesn't have the same follow-up then should that alert come from the ukraine or or some other place where there wasn't some other big thing going on. i mean the thing i like about it is it kind of it it doesn't assume that a human is not necessary but it it takes advantage of the things that are uniquely human in terms of being able to process the information. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Uh, and one of the one of the tenets we've always had as uh, as we were building observable networks and building our product, and we've certainly carried this into our um, our, our new life as part of Cisco. Uh, one of our key tenets is protecting the time and attention of our users. Uh, because in in security, you know, the, the job of security, frankly, the, the hardest problem in security is information overload. Because in this day and age, you know, the state of IT in the world today is that everything can be recorded. You know, you can store everything in logs. You can centralize it all. But the question is, how do you find the problems in all of the things that you can record. And that's what Selfwatch Cloud is designed uh, to do, to, to recognize that there is a threat that a human is going to care about. And that means one of two things, we've been talking about um, a kind of an alert and the next step you would take once that alert is created is an investigative step. And there right. are many alert types that for which the next step is investigative in nature. But there are also many alert types where the next step is an automated action. And so we've had some really nice things happen in our time since uh, joining Cisco. So for example, there was an advanced services team that built out a solution for a customer that leveraged StealthWatch Cloud to detect threats against public uh, infrastructure. So imagine a customer had a footprint in the public cloud, say in AWS. And what they built out was they used StealthWatch Cloud to detect that a remote IP was attacking, uh, you know, like trying to brute force or somehow trying to get their way into infrastructure that they don't have, they shouldn't have access to in the cloud. And what the customer wanted was anytime someone threatens us, uh, threatens our cloud footprint, we would like at the same time to have the defenses go up on-prem so that our corporate on-prem resources are protected too. And so what this advanced services team did there, the next step wasn't, the, the urgent next step wasn't investigation, although that was likely, that would likely happen down the road. But the most immediate next step was bad guy attacks public cloud. The next step that they um, orchestrated with Stealthwatch Cloud was block that bad guy at the on-prem perimeter. So they did an integration wow. with what's called the Firepower Management Console so that the offending uh, resource out on the internet was blocked at the perimeter and a process had to be followed in order to let them in. And so nice. that, that distinction, you know, sometimes the next step is, is a human taking an, an investigation and sometimes the next step is uh, take a preventative or a remediative uh, action. Interesting. So, Patrick, I have a quick question. Sure. If you if if this system is installed and it sounds like it's a machine learning situation where you don't have to configure it to look for for different things on each server, it it learns that. Right. 
Uh, how long does it have to be running before it's it adequately up to speed? Yeah, that, that's a that's a perceptive uh, question and, and one of my favorites. Um, and so the uh, I'll uh, I'll give you the the full answer and then a little nuance. Um, the the full answer is that the when a customer deploys to AltWatch Cloud, um, there's about 40-45% of the modeling features and alerts are active on day one. But the remaining 50 to 55% activates over a 36-day schedule. So to, to make sure that all aspects of modeling um, are active and all alerts are eligible to be created, you need about a 36-day uh, window. But what most customers find is that in the first week of deployment, generally StealthWatch Cloud surfaces something that has been happening for a while that they had been missing. Uh, and the reason, that the rationale for that 36 uh, days, I think we've already got some established understanding here thanks to your, your prior questions. If for a given server, if the StealthWatch Cloud system is going to assert, um, hey, someone logged in from Jamaica and that's unusual, well, there has to be some basis against which that claim is made. And so in this case, we need you know, some number of weeks in order to have confidence that when we see something uh, happen, we see some behavior uh, for a server, that when we compare that behavior to that device's history, we have enough of that history in scope to determine whether it's unusual. Um, and that's a very important way to build context around behaviors. That is comparing a behavior against that entity's own behavior, its own history, but its own history isn't the only context we have access to in StealthWatch Cloud. There are two other dimensions that are just as important. The first is, um, I, we were talking about a database server here, and so the, the second dimension that we can compare against is when we see a behavior, we can consider it in relation to what it means to be a database server in general. So a priori, what might be okay and normal for a database server may not be the same thing that's okay and normal for an iPhone. And the underlying technology, something we call entity modeling in, this, in the um, StealthWatch Cloud world, automatically detects that this entity is a database server and this entity is an iPhone. And therefore, these behaviors are compared not just to the history of those devices, but they're also uh, considered in relation to the type of device. And the third um, uh, context that we can draw around behavior is distinct from a device's own history and from the type of device it is. And that is the collective behavior of all of the devices that we're monitoring of that type. And so because StealthWatch Cloud is a SaaS service, that means that for a given customer, that customer might only have 25 database servers, but collectively across all of our customers, yeah. we're, we're modeling tens of thousands of database servers. And so, and so that, each customer is benefiting kind of from the larger group. That's exactly right. That's, that's exactly really right. cool. And so there might be something that the database server does only once in a thousand times. And so if you're one customer and you've got 25 database servers, that's gonna be a very rare event. But 
from our perspective, we have we see a large enough demographic group that we can distinguish between those two things, and it's an enormous way to mitigate information overload. So, just to summarize this, when we see a behavior, this. Um, 36 day schedule of full activation features. The reason we can do so much of it on day one are because we're comparing not only against the device's own history, but also the type of device. What is it? What is its role? Is it a printer? Is it a wireless access controller? An Active Directory domain server? Uh, and, and then third, the demographic group behavior for that category of device across all of our customer environments. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, yeah. And I'll I'll use this uh, to, um, uh, to to brag about something that when um, we get a chance to talk with customers or, or prospects, um, the the thing that really allows StealthWatch Cloud to stand out relates to this information overload issue and our ability to protect the time and attention of our customers. And so, when StealthWatch Cloud creates an alert, um, first of all. We, uh, because of the, the the fact that we're modeling these um, devices individually, when um, uh, as we as we mentioned with this example of the uh, unusual geographic remote access, so the way this would happen is that when someone logged in from from Jamaica, whether she logged in once or whether she logged in eight times in an afternoon there would be one alert in StealthWatch Cloud that is collecting all of that evidence together and saying, hey, this is this, there's one incident that is happening. There's a lot of data associated with it, but it's one alert. And um, that's a powerful reduction in the amount of information that the, the user manually has to build context around. And so the net result of this is StealthWatch Cloud does not create hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of alarms per day. It produces alerts in proportion to the number of distinct threats in the environment. And because that's a manageable number, even in big organizations, uh, we're able to ask a simple question every time an alert is created. And that simple question is, was this alert helpful to you? Yes or no? It's a very simple dialogue. And when customers close alerts in the system, they answer that question, yes or no. And because they answer that question, we can quantify how well we're doing at protecting the time and attention of our users. We can quantify how well we're doing delivering the help and the value that we're trying to uh, deliver. And I can tell you that in uh, April, well, let me start with May. We just closed the books on May 2018. Right? We're now in June, as shocking as that is. It's a, an unfortunate fact. It's already June 2018. <laughs> May 2018, 92%, 92% of all of the alerts that were published for our paying and free trial customers were marked yes, helpful. So that was 92% in May. In the month of April, the number was 97%. And for the entire calendar year of 2017, this includes before we were acquired in July and after. For the entire 2017, our number was 95%. And so that's why, that, frankly, this has a big reason. This is a big part of why uh, it made 
sense from Cisco's perspective to bring us in because that is something that's something we're fiercely proud of as an organization. And it's the it's the thing that really allows us to stand apart from other solutions in the marketplace that oftentimes, despite it, the our competitors' best effort, uh, our competing solutions are often sort of noise generators where there's some good stuff in there, but it's on the customer to find the good stuff. And with Stealthwatch Cloud, you know, we only deliver the good stuff. Right, right. and that's a huge burden. Stuff. I can barely be bothered to sort through my, my regular email. I can't imagine yeah. if I'm getting security alerts all the time. Right, well, and one example, I mean, imagine, what if it was the case, you know, we, we're all, uh, most of us use bank cards or credit cards or something like that. And if you travel a lot, you get these fraud stops. Yep. And what if 95% of the time you, that you had a block and you had to call your credit card company, what if 95% of the time after that experience, you said, yes, I'm glad they did this. Uh, this, this was helpful to me. Wouldn't that be delightful? Don't you want to live in that world? I want to live in that world. <laughs> so far, I'm batting like zero. I've never been, I've never had any problem. This seems like every week there is a false positive fraud detection thing on my credit card. <laughs> you must have a very aggressive team because my credit card company usually doesn't call me until something's actually been stolen. <laughs> so oh, yeah. on a trip to Barcelona earlier this year, yeah, I had three cards where that were stolen and used before I heard anything about it. But well, maybe point well are, taken. Maybe so. you are living in the world. Maybe you're living in the world I want to live in. Yeah. 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 So Pete, I know you had some questions about Netflix. Yeah, I do. So I, I mean, I'll, I'll name names here, Patrick. You're, you're saying SNMP traps aren't 95% helpful. Is, is really <laughs> right. That, right. Um, so let's, let's talk about, so you've obviously got this very sophisticated, uh, very cool uh, AI system, ML system on top of this data, but let's, let's talk about the NetFlow data. You dropped that earlier on in the conversation. Yeah. What, what's different about the NetFlow data? At what layer of the OSI model does it get generated? And, and what's happening with the public cloud in, you know, this is the Cloud Unfiltered podcast. Yeah. What is it that public clouds are doing to make similar kinds of data available? Yeah, uh, uh, terrific, uh, terrific question, Pete. So first of all, network flow logs like NetFlow, uh, technical term, but very simple idea. What a network flow log um, records is every uh, distinct network um, communication that takes place in the network is memorialized in a network flow record. And so if, uh, if it's helpful to, to reason and, or to understand by way of analogy, everybody knows about telephone records. Telephone records are the, this phone number dialed this phone number right and they, it lasted this long, uh, and it happened at this date and time, right? That's a network, that's a telephone record. Well, a network flow record is kind of the same idea. It, uh, it memorializes uh, these two IP addresses had a network interaction using these ports, uh, using this protocol, they exchanged this many bytes and this many packets, and it happened at a specific date and time. That's what a network flow record is or a NetFlow record in, in Cisco's um, language. And that is, um, it's a very important source of ground truth of communications that really did in fact take place. Um, and they've always, NetFlow records have always been a part of large enterprise uh, security practices. Because the idea is for resources that you care about, 
you should be able to um, uh, validate that all of the communications that take place in your network are ones that that you've authorized, right? right. So conceptually, um, only the only the communications that you want to happen uh, are, are the ones that you should be permitting in an enterprise environment. That's conceptually what you'd like to to see. Now, of course, the reality is computing devices engage in all sorts of interactions that even IT administrators don't fully understand. Um, but, uh, and so while historically NetFlow has been a, it's been difficult for NetFlow to be a proactive source of actionable security uh, intelligence, it has always provided good value for forensic reasons. So you get hacked, there's some incident, if you want to go back and try to understand, well, where did it start or where else might they have, have they gone? If a company has been archiving these network flow logs, then they can look back and do sound forensic investigation. And for the last 15 plus years, that's why enterprises have been collecting uh, net flow for security purposes, for forensic investigation. Um, and before I talk about the new variants of these network flow records that have been produced in the cloud, um, what I'll point out is these uh, flow records, that sort of the, the, the real technical breakthrough that put observable networks on the map is this entity modeling innovation um, that sure. we originated. We were the first technology to consume that very high volume, coarse grain information and translate it into authentically helpful security outcomes. Stealthwatch Cloud still stands alone in that regard. Just about, every, I mean, every other competing solution we've had a chance to look at or talk with customers about really do turn into noise generators. Way too many sure. anomalous activities uh, that you'd ever be able to or have an interest in investigating, most of which would waste your time. That's why that 95% that helpful um, uh, figure sure. for stopwatch is so so powerful and it speaks, now, does it not speak to the ml that you put on top of all that data yeah that, that that's right that's right I, I don't tend to lead with ml or ai methods but this entity modeling approach uh, that we use if if uh, you were to peek under the covers and see how we've built that what you'd find is a lot of sophisticated mathematical machinery some of those methods involve statistical approaches and algorithmic approaches that were created in the machine learning communities. Things like convolutional recurrent neural networks, um, Bayesian models that do predictions and so forth. Those are all components of the models that we've built. Um, and, and, and so you're right, and, and it's pulling all of that together using the discipline of what we call entity modeling is exactly how we're able to achieve those outcomes from a historically very noisy source of data. Very cool, yeah. And happily, um, in fact, you know, one of the things that um, I, I say happily, um, the, the cloud uh, environments led, as in all things cloud, led by Amazon Web Services, back in June 2015, they, re they released a service um, that has a really catchy name called VPC Flow Logs. VPC is an acronym that stands for Virtual Private Cloud, so VPC Flow Logs. And that was their NetFlow offer, offering for the cloud. And so the idea is 
if a company was beginning to shift workloads and infrastructure into Amazon Web Services environments, they can turn on VPC flow logs and receive a data feed of all of the network flow logs from their AWS-based environments. And so back in June 2015, AWS released VPC flow logs, and within 24 hours, Observable Networks was consuming that and turning it and you know, feeding it into our entity modeling approach, turning it into actual, actionable security for our customers. And our business just took off because all these companies around the world were shifting and embracing the cloud and shifting resources into the cloud. All of them knew that they wanted the forensic capabilities of NetFlow, but they, all of them also knew that they didn't know how to find threats in all of that stuff. And so uh, the combination of AWS's VPC flow logs with, at the time, Observable Networks, now StealthWatch Cloud, was a, a, a beautiful, beautiful marriage. And we were off to the races. And since then, uh, Google's cloud environment, Azure's cloud environment have been uh, working with us directly to help shape the next generation of what these um, network flow logs might look like. Right. And, um, you mentioned the collaboration between uh, Cisco and uh, Google, and that was certainly the most recent uh, incarnation of that collaboration. Well, and I just I just learned I just saw the the education video that tells you how to configure it in AWS as we're prepping for some of our sales enablement for for Google as some of those release things yeah. for the large for the larger Google partnership as some of those are becoming reality here this summer and into the early fall. So yeah, I just saw that video. Your your enablement guys just pointed me to that as a reference point, and it's it's so e it's so easy. It's like yeah. It's like four clicks and one copy and paste. I think it's that's like right. That's right. It's. It, you, you, I'm glad you mentioned that, Pete, because it's true. I mean, customers in these cloud environments they can deploy StealthWatch Cloud in under ten minutes. And I remember that I was. Um, that, that's a, that's an interesting claim to make for any enterprise grade solution. Really, deploy in. 10 minutes in right. my in sure. my big enterprise environment you know well, you don't know how complicated my environment yeah we're super complicated and so there is a wonderful story that um, the uh, sponsoring executive who was contemplating you know was trying to bring observable uh, into Cisco he heard me make this provocative claim he's like all right well we'll see and so they signed up for a free trial and he calls me the next day he's like you know Patrick you, you told me it was going to take 10 minutes to, um, to deploy in our big environment. And well, we did it and you were wrong. It wasn't 10 minutes. It only took us seven minutes. And, uh, <laughs> not only, not only did I know that he, that guy had a personality I could work with and a sense of humor that I appreciated. I also knew that we, you know, I was able to, he was able to verify that the provocative statement I made was also a true statement. So That's awesome. it's one of the best, uh, best characteristics of, of StealthWatch Cloud, the, the fact that you can deploy it uh, so easily and the fact that we invite everybody to do a 60-day free trial, that means that this mentality of try before you buy, or rather than spending a bunch of money in the hopes it'll solve a problem for you, you can try it out, no cost, no obligation, uh, for 60 days, and it'll only take you 10 minutes to get started. And so it's a pretty nice combo. So can we can we promote that? Where where would I go to try that sixty day trial? Yeah, well there um, there are a handful of ways. So if you um, if you're already a uh, Cisco customer or a Cisco partner, 
then all of the Cisco sales channels um, will lead you to the online form for initiating a 60-day free trial. There's a cisco.com sign-up form. Um, it is also the case that, and so if anybody Googles uh, Stealth Watch Cloud free trial, it'll take you right to that page. Um, addition, in addition to initiating a free trial via cisco.com, we also have integrations with the public cloud marketplaces. So nice. um, uh, the AWS marketplace is the oldest and the most uh, robust. Southwest Cloud was in fact one of the first, well, I should say Observable Networks was one of the first offerings to be integrated in their SaaS marketplace. So that's another place with a couple of clicks. Uh, if you're an existing AWS customer and you want to add um, a SaaS free trial of Cisco Stealthwatch Cloud, you can do that entirely within the AWS marketplace. Um, and while today, you know, June 2018, that is not true in the other cloud marketplaces, within two months, the same thing will be true in the other cloud marketplaces awesome. as well. Yeah. Very awesome. Well, let me ask you one more kind of future-looking question that sure. I, really, you know, I know there's only so much you can talk about, and then I, I kind of have one more, more softer question to get you out of here with. So we've talked a lot about like servers and the way that VPC flows work and, and some of those things. What's, the, what's on the future or what's on the horizon for Stealthwatch Cloud related to some of the more cutting-edge technologies like containers or function as a service? What do you guys have planned there? Oh, yeah. So... Um... You know, uh, I can even I can sidestep the the plan question and just focus on what's what customers are using with Stealthwatch Cloud today because it as it happens, um, both containers you know in the form of generic Docker or Kubernetes environments or function as a service functions as a service or serverless environments like AWS Lambda, both of those types uh, of entities are supported natively in Stealthwatch Cloud today. Because they so, already are generating the, the, the NetFlow data, right? Well, yeah, that, that's a big enabler in the case of, and so for containers, um, there, there, there's some nuance depending on the type of Kubernetes environment you're operating in. So if it's a standalone Kubernetes thing that your team is running on its own, then we make available a sensor that, uh, and a little uh, install script. It's available in the customer portal with, again, in under 10 minutes, you can stand up that sensor and have it present in all of your uh, pods, all of your Kubernetes pods, and you're done. It's a complete soft uh, deployment. And that'll work for any Kubernetes environment, whether it's one that customers are running on-prem, on their own, Cisco's container platform, uh, there's also Google has a managed Kubernetes service. AWS just released their managed Kubernetes service. Azure has one in preview as well. All of these are supported directly out of the box by Stealthwatch Cloud. Nice. And that's, that's just straight NetFlow. We can consume the NetFlow that are generated in those environments, or if you'd prefer not to generate NetFlow, our uh, virtual sensor that we drop into those pods for you can generate the NetFlow for you. Okay. On, the, on the serverless side, there's something a little more interesting that has to be done uh, because uh, with uh, serverless uh, environments, there are some ephemeral characteristics of how serverless environments work that make it, uh, that in fact require the use of some new technology like Stealthwatch Cloud's entity modeling in order to be able to do it right. And so 
if I take the AWS Lambda service, um, for instance, every time an AWS Lambda, which is one specific variant of functions as a service, AWS Lambda, every time a Lambda uh, executes uh, in your VPC, it, it executes with a different elastic network interface and a different uh, IP address. The, uh, and so that means that the record, the information um, that's being recorded in the network flow logs will be faithfully recorded in the network flow logs, but the, associ the associated yeah. IP address and the associated elastic network interface will appear ephemeral to you. And so the magical breakthrough power of entity modeling here is that in AWS, it isn't just the VPC flow log service that we're consuming. We're also consuming all of the other forms of automatic telemetry that are present, mm. including AWS CloudTrail. And so AWS CloudTrail has a lot of types of information in it. But importantly for this conversation, every time a Lambda executes, meta information about that Lambda execution are, is published via CloudTrail, including the name of the Lambda function, the conditions that caused it to fire, the ephemeral ENI that was associated with it, and the ephemeral IP address. So you're so, using that to feed your, to feed your entity mapping for exactly. Lambda function. Then. That's right. That's right. And so we're in the happy situation with Stealthwatch Cloud that what we're modeling are the entities. Those entities are sometimes servers. They're sometimes virtual appliances that customers don't have even a login for. They're sometimes containers running in Kubernetes pods. And they're sometimes Lambdas. And entity modeling doesn't care. The same technological approach works just fine across all of them. As long as you got the data, you're just getting the data from a slightly different place. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so this is one of the aspects in which we view Stealthwatch Cloud and entity modeling as a sustainable approach. Because every new technological wave that comes along, entity modeling just gets better and is more and more um, um, appropriate. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I, I know Ali's got that look on her face that we're we're not we don't exactly run out of time on this program since it can go wherever, but we know uh, <laughs> we we try to keep it at forty thirty to forty five minutes, and we're at about fifty. So you so know, it, yeah, I'm going to rain right. on your parade in any in a, in a hot second. I'll let you have one more question, Pete. Well, let me just say so. Look, so all three of us have the experience of coming in, having come into Cisco through some form of acquisition. And I, when we met Patrick, mm. I, I joked with you that I was a grizzled veteran of eighteen months. <laughs> And compared to your three, right? And and Ali's got more on that than me. But but you came in as a CTO, right? Ali and I were kind of foot soldiers in our pre-acquisition companies. But this was like this was your baby. And I know you, yeah. you only have your own experience to go through. But you know, you, you and I have talked about my experience a little bit, and you you kind of know a little bit about what this is like for the other end. As someone who is so fundamentally at part of the product, how has that experience you think been maybe different for you? Yeah, no, that yeah, that's an interesting sort of a philosophical uh, kind of question. But yeah, I, I I guess I do have two um, coherent thoughts. I, I I'd say there's um, among the many things that could be said. Uh, I think that coming in as a founder and a CTO of a small, rapidly growing company, now becoming part of Cisco, there are two two aspects: a pro and a con. Let me start with the con because it's always better to to um, end on a positive, right? To end on the positive, yeah. And so the con is that. Um, a startup is, um, well, a successful startup is uh, always laser focused 
on just the things that matter, just the things that drive growth and increase the cash flow situation right. so that you maintain options. And so um, the uh, having that hyper-focus, number one, and also having a relatively simple decision-making structure, a small organization with a very focused uh, objective, you just don't spend that much time talking to people who don't understand what's going on because they're too far away from the issues that matter. Um, and you know the downside of, and Cisco is not uh, unique to this, this is um, what comes along with uh, any large uh, company, um, that to be successful, uh, you have to find ways to uh, communicate to broader and far-flung corners of the organization right. that there's a new way to do things and um, you know, finding ways to help and not being um, uh, sort of buried and slowed down by just the large-scale bureaucratic nature of, of, a large, of a large entity. And so that's, you know, certainly personally for me, and I'm sure for 100% of the other entrepreneurs who've come into Cisco, it's been the same challenge. You know, how do you maintain the characteristics that have allowed you to be successful um, but also do this completely separate sort of thing, which is right. a little more bureaucratic in nature. So that's the con. But the pro and why um, I was excited for my organization and I to, to become part of Cisco is that that is, um, that is definitely worth pursuing because the reality is that now StealthWatch Cloud can really help customers. It's got, and from Cisco's perspective, it is a recurring revenue cloud security offering that is very strategically well aligned. Uh, and so that means that um, being part of this large organization, while it re requires some growth and innovative thinking and figuring out how to bring new things into established uh, processes, the, the rewards for doing so can be considerable. I mean, the impact that we can have, the numbers yeah. of customers we can reach is really, really dramatic. And it's hard to imagine, frankly, outside of a transition like this, how a comparable opportunity for impact could be achieved. So that's really the pro that, and, and I'm attuned to this as an entrepreneur, but I think about, well, how long would it take me to build a 70,000 right, organization on my own, yeah. just with me and my, my team? And you know, we short-circuited this thing by 25 years, right? And so <laughs> it's definitely, definitely um, work worth doing and an aspiration uh, worth achieving. Cool. I think you speak the truth. I think Pete, Pete and I have had similar, similar experiences, right? Absolutely. You trade quite a bit of agility, but uh, there's something to be said for scale. <laughs> That's right. Well, well, thank you very much, Patrick, for being on. I truly was fascinated by the things you said. I learned a lot today, and um, I'm sure our listeners uh, got just as much out of it. So, so thank you for sharing what was going on um, or what is going on with Stealthwatch Cloud, what the underlying technologies are about and where it's where it's headed. We we appreciate it. And I, I hope you'll come back and talk to us, you know, maybe six months from now, maybe a year from now, and tell us how things are evolving. Because uh, this is an important, you know, part of our pivot uh, as a company. And uh, I think one of the more exciting, you know, uh, highlights of that. So, so thank you very much. You're very welcome. I very much enjoy the conversation and I'd love to, to do it again down the road as you suggested again. All right. Take care. Bye-bye, Pete. Bye, Bye, Patrick. Bye.